Okay. Hey, mom. What is happening? What do you mean? I don't know. What are you doing? Huh? What are you doing? Sitting and talking with Daddy and Krell. They went to lunch for Daddy's birthday. Very nice. Where'd they go? They went to Uncle Bernie's. Is it really hot? I think Daddy said it's 101. It's not that here. It's only 80-something, too. So you're leaving at 7 in the morning? Before. I think she wants to be here, and I'm hoping it's real, 6 in the morning. Okay. I'm super happy that I'm going to be there for Dad's birthday evening. Yeah. Hold on. Okay. What do you want? Before I put the show out there, I wanted to wish you a happy 81st birthday. Well, thank you. Wow, you do not sound 81. That was a not 81-year-old sounding thank you to me. Of course not. I'm going to start going backwards. That would be really cool if you could figure that out before I get there. I actually did. And? But I can't tell anybody. It's uh, just between me and the aliens. Oh, the aliens. This show is being sponsored by the movie Phoenix, Oregon. There are aliens talked about and illustrated in the movie. Really? That's exactly correct. He's an illustrator, the main character. Oh, okay. What's the name of the movie? Phoenix, Oregon. You know, you're closer to 90 now than you are 70. I'd really rather not talk about that. Thank you very much. Well, that's just a fact. Talk about it or not. Well, I, I know, but I'd rather not talk about that. Thanks. I know that. That's a huge accomplishment. I'm impressed that you're where you are right now. It's an accomplishment? Yes, it is an accomplishment. Based on what you do to your body, you're doing really well. I'm impressed. Rob took me out for lunch today for my birthday, which was very sweet. Very nice. I had a corned beef sandwich and brought half back for mom. Oh, that's very nice. That was nice, and that's it. Nothing else going on. All right, have fun over there. Okay, mom's waving goodbye, too. Okay, goodbye, too. Okay, I love you. Love you, too. See you later. I am Citizen 44. This show is being sponsored by Phoenix, Oregon, the movie. We're all living in a simulation. Some alien race out there using our misery for entertainment. How's the comic book going? It's languishing unfinished. You don't have time because you're working your ass off at Kyle's Terrible Restaurant. 359, Bob. Cutting it close. You should be grateful that you have a job. Grateful. Maybe I'll join you. <laughs> I feel like I'm 14 again. Drawing comics and needing a ride home. <laughs> close your eyes for a minute. I want you to visualize what you'll be doing 10 years from now. Are you serious? I think you've lost your mind. No, you're not visualizing it, Bobby. Come on, close your eyes. Don't close my eyes anymore. I feel like an idiot. You could roll. I remember. It's completely useless talent. Rising Phoenix. Come for the pizzas. Oh, my God. Stay for the bowling. Aliens made you do that strike. It's my destiny, Bobby. I know it is. Imagine being an owner, drawing your comics whenever you want. Oh, man. Serious? That's what I'm talking about. Bobby? My partner, Carlos, makes this delicious dough with his hands. Yes. I got 300 scores before, but nobody ever put my pictures in the papers. You should enter our grand opening tournament. You haven't even seen me roll, Hoffy. You haven't seen the action on my ball. Mario put his money in too. He has a right to ask questions. I'm his proxy. I've been helping you 
for months. You've been helping Mario. You are a paranoid little child. I don't know what to say, Theo. Leaving a lot of money on the table. Nice going. You're going down. It's your fault. Well, it's not my fault, then it's Tanya's. If it's not Tanya's fault, then it's the aliens. You need to take care of yourself, Bobby. I am fine. I am a grown woman. These could be the best years of your life. Do you realize that? Visualize. This is what I live for, Hoffy. Frame 10. These two geniuses are opening up a pizza parlor slash bowling alley. It's classy. Phoenix, Oregon. Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 73. My guest on today's show is Mr. Daniel Austin Speary. Daniel Speary plays cello here in Lithia Park just about every day. He does not charge for this incredible, magnanimous gift that he gives the community of Ashland. It's pretty special to have Daniel here. I've been going in the park listening to him for years. He's very talented. He's highly skilled, and he loves doing this for the people. So it's great to have him on the show. I also have my parents on the show today. I'm on my way to see them on Friday early morning over there in Encino, California. My dad's 81st birthday is on the 19th, Friday. So that'll be fun. And then a few days after that, my daughter Zoe and her friend Athena are traveling from Ashland to Los Angeles to get on a plane and go to Israel on their birthright trip. So there's lots of things happening in July and I'm gonna hang out in LA until they kick me out, I guess. I'm coming back September 20 something to take Zoe, my daughter, to OSU with her mother and maybe her brother. I don't know who all is going. Maybe we'll all go, I don't know. Anyway, so that's what's going on. It's a big July, August, September thing going on. And yeah, good stuff. All right, here we go.
Hey, Daniel Spiri. Hey, Mark. I haven't seen you in the park lately. When are you usually playing? Tuesday through Sunday, 2.30 to 4.30. The hours have shifted. I think I got into the 2.30 to 4.30 when the weather was cooler. It may be earlier as the weather gets warmer because there's a particular point in time around four where the sun hits my back and I'm getting fried. It's almost like the smell when you're ironing a shirt and it's getting too hot. That's my shirt at that particular point in time. It's such a unique experience because I'm on the spot and it's hard to take a break. That's what's weird and beautiful about it, but hard too, because I'm at the service of who shows up. And sometimes there will be quite a nice gathering of folks and they're deep in an experience. And I feel beholden to keep delivering that experience. People come out to the park, they know you're there, you're very generous with your time, and through your generosity and through the generosity of your patrons, you've been able to do this for some years in the park here in Ashland. Yeah, it's a crazy thing that it even happened. A snippet of what I hear from people that I run into. I went in avant-garde and I was looking for some shoes. I found some used Teva sandals, which I wanted. It's expensive to get new Teva sandals. So this was a great find. And the woman at the register, I had remembered seeing her at the park. And she said, I come there all the time. And sometimes I have to leave because I'm in tears. And I don't want everybody to see me falling apart. People tell me stuff like that all the time. It's not what I ever expected. There was a happenstance to the way that it started. The whole thing has been a strange accident. But it's been more than 10 years now that I've played in the park. What was the initial sequence of events that put you in the park? In 2008, my life was falling apart. I came to Ashland to be with my son. My ex-wife and my son had moved here. And I had convinced this web company that I was working for that I could do my job from Ashland because I wanted to be there when my son was growing up. He was maybe nine or 10 at the time. And it didn't work out. I couldn't really do the job well remotely. It would have been better if I was with the office. So that fell apart and a series of other business things that I was trying to do fell apart. I had been a cellist all through my teen years and I'd had a really good cello teacher, Nelson Cook, who was the principal cellist with the London Symphony. And I'd been in a couple of really significant symphony orchestras, the Nashville Symphony for one. I had really good training and I always wanted to do music and I always was thinking that I would make enough money to be able to retire and do music. 
As it turned out, my life fell apart and I ended up deciding I need to play my cello anytime anybody asks me to. Soon after I made that very simple commitment, I got a job in the stage orchestra of a Broadway musical that was in a little Midwestern town in Iowa. I went there to play in that production, who lasted maybe three weeks. While I was there, a woman invited me to play for her friends in the evening, and I almost turned this opportunity down. I was playing a rented cello at the time, I didn't really have much of a repertoire, but I decided that I would go and share a Mary Oliver poem and just improvise for the people that evening. That's what I did. I shared this Mary Oliver poem and I played extemporaneously. And there was a woman who was there who came up to me afterwards and said, this is really beautiful what you're doing, but this cello that you're playing isn't adequate for what you're trying to do. And I said, well, that may be true, but it would take like $10,000 to get a really good instrument. And she said, I have $10,000 and I would like to give you an instrument. I was sort of in a state of shock and she went with me the next day to this shop in Iowa City and bought this great cello that I play today. And what happened is I came back to Ashland the next weekend with this new cello. And I was with my son. We were going to go pass a football in the park. And he said he wanted to hear the cello. So I took the cello out of its case sat on the stone wall there in the park and started to play. And after about a half an hour, Gabe said to me, Dad, look in your case. And all these people had put money in my case. I was like, well, this is cool. I should come back. And from that point on, I kept experimenting with where to be and when to be there. And pretty soon it was a routine that particular spot that I play in has turned out to be the magical spot because it's almost like a little amphitheater. People can spread out on the little meadow there or sit on the benches or behind me. So that's how it started. There was a lot of discouragement from the director of the park and the police in town. It was kind of rough at first especially the man who was the director of the park at that particular time, had a lot of resentment about my being there. I got hassled a lot. It was sort of a strange thing, but it had a life of its own. That's what happened. I left from 2010 to 2013. When I came back in the spring of 2014, I didn't even think I was gonna stay in Ashland. I was burned out from being on the road. I was completely disoriented and I came to the park and I said a prayer. I need a sign. Is this a good thing to do? And I started playing. There were some young people on the benches, college age, and most of them were listening for a while and they went off for a little bit. And there were a couple of young men there and I played Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. And they started singing with me. And within a few minutes, this whole choir stood on the benches and on the stone wall in front of me and sang hallelujah while I played. And I said, so where are you guys from? And this young guy said he was part of a college choir from Eugene. And 
That was the last thing they did on this field trip of theirs. One by one, they came up to me and shook my hand and said, this is really great what you're doing and you should keep doing it. Most of the journey has been like when the air traffic controllers are flashing the lights for the plane to come in. It's been very much of a sense of this is where you're supposed to be and you should just keep doing this thing. Well, it's brilliant. And I think the community appreciates that you're in the park. Are there different people you're dealing with now? Is your life a little easier? The new park director that came in a couple, three years ago, I went and talked to him and he was very supportive. It turns out his son is a really good cellist who's getting better and better all the time. And they've come and listened themselves from time to time. And the park police are very respectful. There's been much more support for my being there. It's a beautiful space that you hold. I've seen children walk up and put money in your case, and there's a super high level of appreciation for your being there. And it does add something that's been kind of missing from this town. The music scene here used to be really big. The demographic of this town has changed. The thing is, this town would benefit from some sort of busking program, some sort of organized situation where maybe people who wanted to play on the street perhaps would get some sort of license. In the Portland airport, they actually audition musicians, so they have really good people playing and they can sell CDs. You know, we have the potential in Ashland to have an incredibly thriving, beautiful music scene. and. For some reason or other, it doesn't. Isn't it amazing the way people find the cracks? They find a way to do their creative thing, even though nobody gets paid much to do things like that. And yet, people find their way into, okay, let's do some of this. Quite amazing. At the end of January, I started making short videos I've been for the last couple, three years working on some sort of ongoing documentary series, but I don't have a lot of the videography skills myself and I've gradually been trying to develop those. So I started making these videos and putting them on a site called makingabeautifulnow.com. And a lot of these are musical pieces. I've shot some film of myself in the park and some poems that are interesting to me that I've created a little background for. Now I have about 65 videos on that site. I'm just trying to do something really simple in three or four or five minutes. And it's been extremely satisfying to have that simple focus. Recently, we went to the coast and I took some film of one really gorgeous spot on Harris Beach in Brookings. It's sort of a tide pool that fills up. And then I put some music to that. And it made an incredibly beautiful video. So I just keep thinking of excuses to make short videos. And I'm getting better at it gradually, little by little. And starting to interview people and expand my range. What year were you born then? I was born in 1955. 55, and yeah. where were you born? I was born in Tampa, Florida. I grew up in the South. My grandfather was the first auto mechanic in West Tampa, and uh, 
He was a jack of all trades. I learned a lot of what was possible in the world from my grandfather. What was it like for you growing up back there in the mid-50s? All of that stuff you see on the clips of the civil rights movement, that was the world that I grew up in. There was a section of the little town that my father was the mayor of that was called Colored Town. And oddly enough, we had maids and the Maytag repairmen. I always had the feeling about the black people that I grew up with that they were much more humble and real than the white people I was growing up with. So it was a very mind-bending experience as a boy to grow up in the South. Something clearly very wrong. Another thing that's interesting about that whole experience was I was really tuned into music and I remember my mother took us to, it was a black college choir that sang a bunch of gospel music and spirituals. I just loved the black music way better than any other music. Burl Ives and Mitch Miller was going on at that time and black music was just so much better than white music. It made me feel somehow or other more identified with that culture. When I got to Nashville, I connected with a guy who was one of the best R&B musicians in Nashville. His name is Matt Gaden. He wrote the song Everlasting Love, which is a big, big R&B hit. And um, he grew up playing with black musicians. I ended up playing in his band and we did a bunch of R&B covers like Curtis Mayfield. How old were you then? I was about 18, yeah. Did you leave home early? I left home early. Uh, I was a kind of a musical vagabond. I hitchhiked from Florida to North Carolina to Nashville with my cello and pretty soon got work in recording studios doing jingles and some master sessions. And then I got in the symphony and Mac had a record deal with ABC. So we did a little touring with that band and it was quite a musical experience. When did your musical experience begin? I asked my mother for a cello when I was four. She'd played this orchestra record that demonstrated the instruments of the orchestra. And when I heard the cello, I was homed in on that. It had this really rich, soulful feeling. So she got me a little half-sized cello and it wasn't until I was about maybe six or seven that I was playing every day and then I just kept playing more and more. By the time I was in junior high, I was playing two or three or four hours a day. And it saved my life because my home life was so crazy. What my family was going through and everything, you know how it is in your teens. You start doing absolutely batshit crazy things. And if I hadn't had a cello to come home to and play for long periods of time, I probably would have been unhinged. What were your parents doing at this time? My dad was a CPA, and later on he had a job as an auditor for Firestone Tire and Rubber Company, and then he worked for Florida Gas Company. So he was an accountant, an auditor in business, and my mother was a cellist. She played in some orchestras, and I got to go to rehearsals of 
Puccini's Tosca, and that was a very impactful experience for me to be in a big hall and seeing the orchestra rehearsing. All of that inspired me and gave me a lot of vision about what I wanted to do. Did your father support your musical life? He completely did. People hardly have an idea what is necessary to incubate a classical musician. Lots and lots of lessons and a lot of money is going to get spent on the lessons and my dad was 100% behind what I was doing and my mother drove me. There was one point in time where my teacher was about an hour and a half away, so we drove an hour and a half every week to get to those lessons. But they were spectacular lessons. I loved my teacher. He was fantastic. I was super dedicated. All through my teens, I was killing it on practicing. It's my oldest relationship. Other relationships have come and gone, and with the cello, it's always there. You were doing this special project where you were doing personal music portraits for people? Yeah. I've done about 50 of those now. It started with the observation that in the park, when I would play and one person would show up, my music would sort of change. I was improvising and then I would tune into that person that was in front of me and I would realize, oh, well, I'm actually doing something like playing what that person needs or something about that person. And then I experimented with that a little bit and I had friends come over and I would play something that I thought would reflect them and I quickly learned that people don't necessarily like to be reflected in music. If I would play something hesitant, yeah, I'm very hesitant, but I don't really want to hear that in music. Or I would play something that's very active and they would go, well, that's like my mind. My mind is very busy, but I don't really want to hear that in music. So I switched it to what does that person need in music? What's the medicine for that person in music? And I started interviewing the person's friends or family. So I would get really familiar with something about that person. And there would always be some kind of a lead in or channel that would enable me to create this. I call them musical portraits, but it really is sort of like a musical touchstone for each person that I've done it for. And I've done pieces of music sometimes for people who've passed. They're in memoriam. We'll talk to the whole family and get a feeling for them and create a piece for them. I've created pieces of music that have been gifts from a husband to a wife or from a daughter to a mother. There was a group of parents at the Waldorf School here in Ashland that gathered their funds together to commission a piece for the teacher who had taken their kids through eight grades of school. And that turned out to be a beautiful piece of music, one of my favorite pieces of music that I ever composed. Most of the pieces that I'm playing in the park are musical portraits. It's very beautiful and it's always satisfying how it comes out and the person's response has always been something that I treasure. It's miraculous the way the whole thing happens because I just have an intention and then that develops into a musical idea and the whole thing unfolds like that and then people get the music and they're super happy with the impact of that. The youngest person I've done one of these pieces for is a little girl who's six. Her mother and father and she have come to the park for a number of years, ever since she was about three. And last year, she was going to turn six, and her mother and father commissioned a musical portrait for her. That turned into a really beautiful piece. She's learning violin now. Her name is Michaela. 
and I'm hoping they come back this year. I'm really glad that you're doing what you're doing. Well, I think we have a mutual appreciation. Yeah. You bring joy and light to this community, and that's something that there's never too much of. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate your time today. Dave Story, what is up? I'm here with you, brother. You are here with me, and you're here to pick up photographs of the green show you had July 5th. What a great show that was. You and Mr. Mayfield and the crew. It was a killer rock and roll show, and I got some really good shots. Thank you for being there to document it. That was a lot of fun. It's a fabulous venue. Yeah, that was my first time at the venue since they poured all the money into it. It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, it's killer, man. The sound's great. The lighting looked really good. It was fun, and people were rocking out and dancing, having a good time for you guys. And Ben runs a tight ship there. It's really sweet, good crew, built-in crowd. It's lovely. The Bishop Mayfield Band with Dave Story, Dean Angermeyer's on the keys. Who else you got in there? David Tao on drums and Mike Bowman on bass. You guys are super tight and fun, and Bishop's voice is incredible. Wow, that dude can throw down. Yeah, he was ready for it. And you guys have shows coming up? We have a show this Friday at Grizzly Peak Winery, 6 to 8, I believe, and there's food trucks, a beautiful venue up there in the Oak Grove. That sounds fun. What else you got? We have a concert in the canyon on the Rogue River, Labor Day weekend. Going to be fun where they boat us up the river and they boat everyone else up the river and they have a big concert. Do you guys have information anywhere where people can find what you're doing? Look up Bishop Mayfield on Facebook. Bishop Mayfield on Facebook. You guys did some recording with Sylvia, didn't you? Yes, we're still cleaning up the last of that, and we have eight songs we did, all originals. Most of them are done. We're just trying to finish them all up at once. It's taken a little while, but it's going to be well worth it. Dave, thanks for coming on the show, and we'll see you soon. Thank you, Mark. Well, that's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. It was really great to have Daniel on the show. He's such a genuinely nice, giving, thoughtful, sweet man. And we really are very lucky in this community to have him here, weather permitting. So thank you, Daniel. I want to say happy birthday again to my father. 81 on Friday, on the other side of 80. And I'm creeping along right behind him. So happy birthday, Dad. Much love to you. And want to thank my mom for coming on the show. Love you guys so much. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys in a couple of days. I want to thank Dave Story for popping in and saying hello. It was a great show that I got to witness over there at the Green Show. That's Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Six days a week, I think it is, they put on a free show on their outdoor theater. They take Mondays off. Monday is Shakespeare's Day off here in Ashland. We're in full swing here. Summer in Ashland, Oregon. Thank goodness, thank goodness, thank goodness. No fires, no smoke. It's been clean and clear. Last year on the 5th of July, it began to get smoky in our sweet little community here. But this year thus far, knock wood pounding on my head, we have crystal clear skies. It's beautiful, it's warm. Shakespeare Festival is happy. Retail around here is happy. And the tourists are happy. And of course the community, thrilled to death that uh, we don't have to take off and go elsewhere to breathe. 
A lot of time spent at the coast last year by a lot of families who got choked out. Citizen 44 with Mark Ehrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. I invite you to check out the new Citizen 44 website at citizen44.com. Thanks again so much. I appreciate that you give me an opportunity to present these interesting individuals and a little bit of myself. Thanks again for listening. It's always my pleasure. Take care. To find out more about Daniel Spiri, visit him online at danielaustinspiri.com. That's D-A-N-I-E-L-A-U-S-T-I-N-S-P-E-R-R-Y.com. This show is being sponsored by Phoenix, Oregon, the movie. To see where the Lundgrens are on their national tour, visit them online at phoenixoregonmovie.com. Thank you, Sam, Zoe, and Val. If whatever you're doing is not working, there's one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. I am Citizen 44.
Yes.